0: Dan Bauman was visiting Iran to spread the love of Jesus when he was imprisoned and beaten regularly for no reason. Dan later learned that friends and family gathered to pray when they heard about his situation. He also learned that his mom offered a pretty unique prayer. My friends told me,
1: as my mom confirmed it, that in the first public prayer meeting, this is what she prayed. God, I pray that Dan is not released from prison until all of your purposes are fulfilled. She's always pushed us to God, trusting that God would take care of us more than anything else. And no matter what she wanted, she could trust God that what he wanted would also be best for her. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Well, if you missed the first part of our conversation with Dan last week, make sure that you go online to hear it at vomradio.net. Dan Bauman is a worker with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. While serving in Central Asia, he planned a two week vacation trip into Iran using his Swiss passport. Dan has dual citizenship. He's a Swiss citizen and a U.S. citizen. But as he tried to go through immigration before taking the bus back across the border out of Iran, he was detained with no explanation. And this is important because it's going to come up again. The Lord clearly put on Dan's heart that he'd be in prison for nine weeks. Remember that number, nine weeks. Last week, we heard the moving story of the guard who beat Dan every day for no reason. And as we closed the program, Dan explained how the Lord gave him the supernatural ability to love the man who was beating him. Let's get to part two of our conversation as Dan tells us What happened in the heart of that guard? I was
1: taken one day into his room. And on that day, I didn't know it, but it would be the last day I'd see him. As I stood there, which was a common reality, I'd stood before him many, many days. Blood stains on the floor, a scary situation. But on that day, something happened. And all I can say is all glory to Jesus. But as I stood there, I felt these words come into my heart. That today was going to be a different day. And I looked at him and I said this. I said, sir, if I'm going to see you every day the rest of my life, why don't we become friends? And I remember him looking (laughs) at me and going, you're crazy. No, we'll never be friends. And as I said it, there was something inside that grew like a boldness, like a strength. So I said it a second time. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's start today being friends. He goes, you're
0: crazy. We'll never be friends. This is the guy who has been beating on you every day for weeks. Yeah. And you said, I want to be friends.
1: Yeah. And there was something maybe even in my work in Afghanistan where I knew culturally that I just didn't believe that he only wanted to beat me. Like it was his job, but what's going on in his heart of hearts? And I obviously could be very, very wrong because he's beating me like crazy. But there was something inside of me and all I can say is glory to God that I felt to push it. And so I said it a third time and then I said this. I said, sir, no, let's change today and be friends and let's start by exchanging names. That wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed to tell me his name. My name was 58 because that was the number of my cell. And finally, as a last... Effort of pursuing that subject, I looked at him and said, Let's be friends. And I stuck out my hand to shake his hand. And it was then that he froze. And as he froze, he starts to shake. Then he starts to look around. It's only me and him in there. (laughs) And then he took his hand out of his pocket and he reached it towards me and he shook my hand. As he shook my hand, he squeezed it really tight and he wouldn't let go. Then tears start to come down his face. And then he finally looks at me and says, Dan. And he called me by my name. He said, my name is Razak. And yes, I would love to be your friend. And the reality that there is no heart too hard for Jesus hit me. And he kept shaking my hand. He finally let go, and he wiped the tears from his eyes. And I remember him looking at me and going, Dan, I'm so glad we're friends. And I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> and then he looks at me and goes, Dan, I can't get you out of here. I said, I know that. That's not your position. He said, yeah, I can't. But Dan, in the prison, I have some authority over the night guards. Is there anything you want in the prison? And I said, sure, I want a bigger cell. Why not? I've been (laughs) stuck in a two by three yard isolated cell. Why not have a bigger one? And he looked at me and said, okay, let me see what I can do. I never saw that man again in my life. But later that night, the night guards came to my cell and said, Sir, we have orders to move you to a bigger cell. And I knew that God had changed that man's heart.
0: Amen. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs radio with Dan Bauman. He is the author of a book called Cell 58, which shares the story of his imprisonment in Iran. Dan, eventually you were released because you're here today. How did you find out? I'm going to get out of here.
1: Yeah, it was a crazy day. They came to my cell, took me out. My friend had already been released after five weeks, and I was it was many weeks after that. I'm in my cell one day, and they barge in and say, gather your things. That hadn't happened, so I gather my things. I'm like, where am I going? Nothing was said. They blindfolded me led me to a room I hadn't been in. They said get dressed, and I was expecting, oh, there must be an extra set of prison clothes in here. But I looked down, and it was my clothes, my bag. So I put them on, and I was thinking, why am I getting dressed? And the only thought I had was, it might be my day of execution, because people were being killed in that prison every day. They took me out on a bus to a courthouse. They walked me into an office room. And it was there that a man walks in who turns out to be the head judge of all the courts of Iran. And he stands up and he says, today, because of our friendship with Switzerland, we choose to release Dan Bauman. And he's a free man. And I'm sitting there, tears running down my face. and It was like God was looking over from heaven. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> the best surprise ever. I, yeah. God, not me, (laughs) and he just had mercy on me. And I remember in the room was one man who looked like he could be from Europe or America, and he was a Swiss ambassador. And he walks up to me and goes, sir, you're coming with me. I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) And it was there that I finally realized that I'm out of prison.
0: And it was nine weeks,
1: exactly. To the hour, exactly nine weeks, which I had often forgotten about that moment throughout my time. But as I got to the house that night, I reflected and that came back to my mind. The very first thing that I had felt from the Lord that was the Lord was that nine weeks. And whoa, I looked at the timing and it was exactly to the minute. Wow.
0: Now, on your way out of the country, you landed in Germany, and you had a chance to meet some Iranians. Why why was that significant in your story? We were given a free breakfast if we had it, if we
1: had time in transit in Germany. I was flying to Switzerland because we had been delayed on our original flight. And as I got there to get my food, I saw a table full of men. They looked Iranian, But they had an empty chair at the table, there weren't many empty chairs, so I pointed and they let me sit there. After a while, one of them looks at me and says, do you speak English? I said, yes, I do. And he said, oh, we speak English as well, we're all Iranian. I said, oh, nice to meet you. And they look at me and they're like, didn't you come on that flight from Iran? And I said, yes, I did. And then they looked at me and said, oh, did you have a good time? (laughs) And I'm like, ah, the first two weeks were good. Oh, what'd you do? Where'd you go? And I just began to explain everything. And then they're like, well, how long were you there? I said, well, I was there 11 weeks. And they said, oh, you said the first two weeks were good. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, where were you the last nine weeks? And I thought, wow, that's a specific question. And I just felt in my heart I had to be honest. So they would all know the name of the prison. So it's uh, Evin. So I said it, and I said, "Yeah, that's where I was." And they all got big eyed there, and three of them stood up, and they're like, "Are you Daniel Bauman?" I'm like, "Yeah." How do you know my name? And as they said, they said, "You know, the government weekly turns out a paper of what they do," and what they've done, and they had said that they had caught an American spy named Daniel Bauman. But we want you to know, sir, we don't agree with a lot of what the government tells us. We don't agree with that paper a lot, and we definitely didn't agree with this. And for the next 15, 20 minutes, they asked me the most loving questions. Did you get beaten? Did you get hurt? Why didn't they give you your rights? Why didn't they treat you better? Very loving questions. And oh, my heart was so stirred because of the love. It was real. And I finally had to get onto my connecting flight, and I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave, but meeting you has really warmed my heart again towards the Iranian people. And before I walked away, they said, No, before you leave, you need to know this. And three men stood up, everyone with tears in their eyes, and they looked at me and said, Sir, please forgive our government for what they did to you. It is not the heart of the Iranian people. And, ah... my heart was one again for the Iranian people, how much I love them and care for them. And they loved me, you know, and they love Americans. It's just, yeah, there's a political situation going on. But the reality was, is that there was something real there. Uh, we could really care for each other.
0: Dan, last week we talked about your first two weeks in Iran and, and how wonderful that time was, how, how welcoming the people were and... Now you share about these Iranians you met after you left the country. Why was that such a significant thing for you as you moved past this experience? And and as you now look back on it, why was it so important that you had those good experiences and, and good relationships with Iranian people? You
1: know, I have read many stories as well as heard many situations where anger or bitterness seems to erode at the heart years and years and years after a situation. And for me in my situation, uh, the the fear of bitterness or the reality, I could be angry or be upset. Okay, well, how do I even deal with that? The reality was let the love of God win, you know? And so for me, it wasn't just God's love for me. It was God's love for them and all glory to God, but ever since then till today, I love Iran. I love who they are. I love the people. I do know some decisions have been made or are made that aren't the decisions I would agree with by the government, but I love the people. I even love many people that work in the government. It's just that the love of God for people is stronger than certain decisions made and in my own situation, I'm so grateful I don't have any bitterness. I'm so grateful I've let go of anger and that I can live life with an open, tender heart towards Iran, not holding something against them.
0: Did you wrestle with that at all, or do you feel like God just kind of allowed you to do that quickly and easily, as opposed to, like you say, there are some people that really wrestle with being able to forgive and being able to let go of some of that experience. In the beginning,
1: there was definitely the wrestle, and it was so emotionally connected because I would try to make the Christian or the godly response of loving them, and then immediately my emotions would switch to when they would beat me, or when they would yell at me, or when my rights were never read to me. And these moments of, you know, would stir up anger and emotion and bitterness in my heart. And I would just take that to God, say, God, no, I want to live with something else. I want to live with the reality of what you're also doing in my heart with the love of God. And over the period of uh, one or two years, I just saw those moments drift. And to where it's, it's pretty much predominant now all the time. I don't have those you know, fears, and those anxiety emotions in those moments. But no, they're gone. God's healed me, and what's residing in my heart is just a love for Iran and love for the people.
0: So let me ask you for advice for some of our listeners who maybe have been through a traumatic experience, maybe not arrested and beaten in Iran, but maybe some other kind of traumatic experience. And they're, they're in that wrestling stage now, trying to get past it, trying to forgive, trying to let God take it away from them. Do you have any advice or any encouragement for them?
1: Wow. You know, I mean, first of all, my heart of compassion and care would be like, I am so sorry, you know, but yet within that reality, all I am discovering is that God is bigger and better than I think. And whatever my experience was about how good God is and how could God be good when you look at a very clear circumstance in my life where it doesn't look like the goodness of God, it doesn't look like he's being nice right now, it was an invitation to me to say, no, God is bigger and he is good. And to actually look at God's character, especially how I had known him throughout my life, there were moments where I just so knew the love of God, where I just so knew that he was for me. And I began to dwell on those not dwelling on my immediate negative circumstance, but dwelling on his character. Yes, scriptures, but even more than that, experiences that I had known and seen the goodness of God throughout my life. And I fixed my heart and mind on that. And with that came a growing reality that God was not only good, he was really, really, really good. Like he was actually better than I thought. And that was a real turning point for me in getting my mind off of the tragedy onto his goodness. It didn't change the tragedy because tragedy is real. And so my heart is so full of compassion for those who have and continue to have struggles But I believe that as we turn our hearts towards Jesus, he can show us a bigger picture of how good he is, and then that can actually begin to rule our hearts over time. In a situation where it could very well be that I would have reason for a growing anger and resentment towards the Muslim people, God's love for them has really only grown in my heart. Again, I don't give that credit to me, but all glory to God. But yeah, that has been growing, that I love them. I go back to that part of the world a lot. North India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, the Muslim part of the world, Turkey. I just love it. I'm very involved, network of friends that are working there. And that's been a big thing for me as I've walked forward.
0: Amen. Dan, right now there are Christians around the world who are in prison for their faith. They're in China. They're in Eritrea. They're in Iran, where you were. One of the things we always want to do here on VOM Radio is equip people to pray. You've been a Christian in a jail cell. How would you advise us or encourage us to pray for the Christians who right now are in a jail cell somewhere in the world?
1: We need to continue to pray for peace because though I did not have peace most times, there were moments where the peace of God just hit me that changed my life, you know, that gave me hope because hope is probably one of the deepest things that is vague in a prison situation. So if we pray for peace, I believe it'll so help people that they would have peace and with that will come hope that we would pray for hope and hope more in god's character than hope in a you know switch a situation of course we want the switch for them but hope while they are still there man that can be real it was real for me it wasn't all the time but there were moments where hope grew and it changed my life and that we would pray for their physical health i lost 55 pounds I uh, had to keep the month of fasting, uh, month mon- month a year. Muslims fast from sunup to sundown. I had to keep that in prison. And so my health was definitely waning. Um, and yeah, we need to pray for people's health, that God would give them strength physically just to live, that he would give them food. Uh, we need to pray against the beating, that the beating would be less. These are very practical and it's very real. But hope and peace, um, yeah, would be the more deeper spiritual realities. Of course, praying that they would get out, but that God would give them hope and peace until that day.
0: Your mom had a very interesting prayer request for you when you got arrested. What did your mom pray the, the first time in a public prayer gathering after your arrest?
1: I was told this many months later and <laughs> when I was out of prison, but my friends told me, as my mom confirmed it, that in the first public prayer meeting, this is what she prayed. God, I pray that Dan is not released from prison until all of your purposes are fulfilled. Today, I look back at that and think to myself, man, I'm glad other people were praying. <laughs> <laughs> but... On the other side of joking around was what I've always known from my mom, and that is this deep heart of hers that says, God, thank you for my kids, but I want them to be used for your purposes more than just for me. And my mom has always released all three of us kids. All three of us are missionaries. My older sister's been in prison for her faith in Nepal, and my younger sister, spent 25 years in Kashmir, Northern India, working in a Muslim situation. Yeah, my mom has seen us kids in hard situations, but she's always pushed us to God, trusting that God would take care of us more than anything else. And no matter what she wanted, she could trust God that what he wanted would also be best for her.
0: Amen. We've been talking today on Voice of Martyrs Radio with Dan Bauman Again, he is the author of a book called Cell 58, originally published under the title Imprisoned in Iran. If you will come to vomradio.net, we will give you a link to go and purchase a copy of the book. I strongly encourage you to read it. Uh, I actually read it to my two sons when they were in their... Uh, preteen years uh, as a way of just planting that story in their hearts. So I encourage you, read it to your kids, read it to your grandkids, share the stories of God's faithfulness. And as we've just talked about, we've talked about the people who are in prison today for their faith in China, in Eritrea, in Iran, in other places, and Dan's helped us to pray for them. So uh, I want to encourage you this week to specifically pray for Christians who are in prison for their faith, And again, pray for hope, pray for uh, that sense of encouragement, that that they would know God's presence with them. Dan, thank you for sharing your amazing story with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you so much. An honor to be here. You can hear both halves of our conversation with Dan Bauman by visiting vomradio.net. If you missed last week's episode, please go listen to the first half of Dan's amazing story. VOMradio.net is also where you can get information about a Voice of the Martyrs Advance Conference near you. Go to the bottom of the page and find the link for VOM Advance Conferences under the Get Involved heading. We have launched the 2018 VOM Advance Conference season, and I want to encourage you to come and spend a Saturday with us at a VOM Advance Conference I want to especially invite you to a couple that are coming up in April because I happen to be one of the speakers for these conferences. April 7 in the Washington, D.C. area, April 14 in the Durham, North Carolina area. If you happen to be in one of those areas, please sign up and come to the conference. And when you're there, come up and let me know that you listen to VOM Radio VOM Advanced Conferences are a powerful day hearing the stories of our persecuted family around the world. We've got conferences scheduled all over the country in the coming months of this year. Come to vomradio.net, go to the bottom of the page and click on VOM Advanced Conferences under Get Involved. Spend a Saturday being inspired by your persecuted brothers and sisters. And if I happen to be there, please be sure to say hello. Let me know that you listen to VOM Radio. You know, it seems like the whole world is watching North Korea right now. Next week, we're going to hear from a guest who can give us an inside perspective on that secretive country. We're not going to focus on missiles or military. We are going to focus on what God is doing in the lives of North Korean people, in the lives of our brothers and sisters there. So please be back with us next week right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.